listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 29th of September 2022 from the SBS newsroom. Later, the Bank of England comes to the rescue of the markets and the British pound. But first to inflation and the Bureau of Statistics has released its first monthly read on consumer prices, which has revealed an easing in annual CPI from 7% in July to 6.8% in August. But what's the real picture, especially as the ABS has said that the quarterly result is still the much preferred measure? For more, I spoke earlier with Sarah Hunter. She is the Chief Economist at KPMG. Yeah, that's right. yeah, that's right. It's uh, They've been pretty clear on that, that it's not as uh, comprehensive coverage. It's not as in-depth and detailed uh, as the quarterly release. And they're still treating the quarterly release that we've always had for quite a while now um, as the main release. But it is really great to get uh, this monthly indicator. It gives us a real um, idea at the moment of year-on-year moves uh, across the categories and even some of the subcategories, which is fantastic. And then as we go through time, and obviously it builds itself up as into being a proper data source, we'll be able to look at quarter to quarter moves, but for all of the months, not just uh, for one data point in the month. So it's just more information uh, that's much more timely, really helpful for the RBA and for those of us tracking what's going on in the economy. And it's probably too much detail, but from my understanding, um, the the indicator, the monthly indicator omits around 30% of the overall CPI. So what doesn't it include? Yeah, that's right. And uh, I think what was happening here really is that um, on a month to month basis, the ABS has said they can't track all prices um, every single month. So they're sort of doing a selection um, and it changes actually month to month which prices they do track. So in some months they actually look at the whole of a, a sub index and in others they don't. Uh, most of the sub indexes, they're looking at uh, a decent chunk of the prices every month and then they'll be cycling through uh, that three month basis. So when they get through to the full quarter, they have got that full set of prices. And that's why that's uh, staying as their headline rate, if you like. Uh, but for the each of the months, they're only able to get to, yeah, it's between sort of 20, uh, sorry, uh, 70 and 75% of the prices. Um, August actually is a good month. It's the one where they can track most of the prices, but none of them are, are entirely complete. Okay, so let's go through the data then. On a month on month basis, it showed a fall from 7% in July to 6.8% in August. So the question is, could we really have seen a peak in consumer prices? Um, I don't. I don't think we're quite there yet for uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, just in terms of why that headline rate did fall back a little bit between July and August, it was really actually all about petrol prices, uh, pump prices. So they dipped back um, a little bit through August. We saw some easing uh, in global fuel prices in the preceding couple of months, and that really then fed through into our local market um, in August. I think going forward, though, we know we've got the unwinding of the fuel duty that's in fact just kicked in uh, this morning. So that's definitely going to uh, to feed back through and lift inflation, probably all other things equal by about 0.3 percentage points. Um, and we've also got some other uh, sort of you know, headwinds or if you like some faster inflation materialising a little bit. It uh, looks as though around food prices. So it'll be interesting to see what happens quarter to quarter in the next release. Uh, and also some pretty solid increases in uh, some categories that where we normally see pretty muted or even uh, falling prices. So clothing, household goods, all of these uh, categories, they're still moving along at a fair clip. So I think it was quite telling that the core inflation, stripping out those volatile prices, that actually ticked up between July and August. That's going to be uh, one of the sort of things that takes us through. And I don't think we're quite there yet for the peak. 
So what does it likely mean for the quarterly result? And what will it mean for the Reserve Bank when it meets next week? Well, so what we should see in terms of the quarterly result is almost mathematically, if you like, we know that the July number was uh, just a touch above seven. We know that August was a little bit down at 6.8. I think uh, based on fuel prices, they, they didn't sort of kick back up through most of September. And keeping in mind that that fuel duty unwind is only for a couple of days right at the end of the month. So it's not going to uh, have a, the big impact now. It's going to be in October that we're going to see it really kick through. Uh, I think we'd probably like to see something in the high sixes. Um, you can sort of just take a near enough an average of those three. It's not quite that simple, but uh, roughly speaking, that'll be the case. And then it'll be the December quarter where we see that step up because if only because of that fuel excise duty, that I think will be comfortably above 7%. And for the Reserve Bank, does that mean it's going to stay on its aggressive course in terms of lifting interest rates? What do you expect next month then going forward? Mm, I mean, I think today's data really will probably confirm to them what they, they think is happening through the economy, uh, that there is a lot of volatility in, in some of their fuel prices, food prices. They don't have much control over that. But, you know, the thing that they do worry about, the, the sort of core inflation, if you like, uh, that strips out so that volatility, that's still running comfortably above target, quite a long way above target, actually. That's what they're really responding to. And so for me, next month, it's, you know, is it a 0.25%? Is it 0.5%? I think perhaps it's tipping towards 0.5% at this stage. Still really strong momentum. The retail sales data this week out as well was also really good. Uh, so which gives a bit of an edge to that 0.5% uh, so that they keep on going with that trajectory. A bit slower perhaps than rate rises in other countries, but certainly more to come. And I think the cash rate topping comfortably above 3% is very much on the cards now. Sarah Hunter there, the Chief Economist of KPMG. The Australian share market rose today up 1.4% on the 206,555. It comes as we saw some support from the Bank of England overnight, which bought back government bonds to support markets. But that happened only days after there were some rate rises in the UK and the government announced some tax cuts, which drove shares lower along with the British pound. So for more, I spoke earlier with Gemma Dale. She's an analyst at NABTRADE. It's an extraordinary situation. We've effectively had the IMF come out and say, don't do that. That's a ridiculous thing to do. It's it's quite extraordinary. So the new Prime Minister of the UK and, uh, and her government have announced a stimulus package effectively. So they've brought out their mini budget and it includes extraordinary tax cuts at the top end in particular, which the market very clearly and almost immediately said were unsustainable and completely inappropriate in the current economic environment. The UK is already predicted to be the economy in the West that's most likely to head into recession first to therefore be uh, perhaps cutting, cutting tax, <laughs> cutting tax at the top end seems frankly, sort of unlikely to deliver any benefit to the economy at all. So the central bank in the UK has found itself in the extraordinary situation where the market has loathed the new budget. The, uh, the, we have seen the pound absolutely tumble. So it's fallen away very dramatically. We've seen bonds go all over the place. And as a result, they have been forced to buy bonds in order to protect the pound and to normalize, normalize the market. And yet at the same time, they have been hiking rates and trying to get inflation under control. So exactly as you say, these two things should be mutually exclusive. You should never see those two things happening at the same time. Trying to stimulate the economy and rein in inflation simultaneously is almost unheard of. And now we have uh, the likes of Larry Summers, who's the former Treasurer of the Secretary in the US, saying 
this is an emerging market economy now, right? This is the kind of behavior we're seeing. So it's um, it's astonishing. So how have the markets reacted, especially here, whether it be equities or currencies? Where have the major moves been? So in the US and in Australia, we saw an incredible bounce in equities. We saw in the US, the NASDAQ, the S&P 500 up around 2% last night, and we've seen a really strong bounce on the ASX today. But I think you have to consider that that is something close to a relief rally more than anything else. The ASX 200 is off 9% in the last month, which is a pretty rough run by any measure. And that is mostly markets pricing in much higher rates, much more quickly than they were hoping would be the case when everyone was thinking we'd have a pivot. They've now seen the UK central bank effectively say we'll have a whatever it takes moment and get in and support markets when things are looking dicey. And that is what markets really like to see. That has been supporting markets for the last decade. So I think for a lot of investors, they have gone the central banks will come in and put a floor under equities, under currencies, under anything else that is under extreme downward pressure, and perhaps we will be able to scrape through a fairly dire-looking economic scenario okay. Okay, we're still having a really good day on the share market, though, one of the best days in quite some time, but there's also been some moves to the upside in materials. Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so materials are looking pretty strong at the moment and energy also had a really strong night. That is partly, again, because this real concern about a very hard landing, which we've seen escalate, those concerns have really escalated over the last few weeks. Everyone calmed down a little bit and went, maybe if central banks are going to step in, we will see a softer landing than we were anticipating. This would drive up demand for oil again and also drive up demand for commodities. Iron ore actually not much moved. It was pretty flat. Uh, but there's a real hope that perhaps we'll be able to scrape through this and therefore there'll be some support for commodity prices as well. So materials up about 3%. Good day, but not not extraordinary compared to some of the ones we've seen. Uh, any other stories you're looking at looking at it today? Yeah, a couple of interesting ones. So Premier Investments uh, gave an update and they the update was incredibly strong, saying that they're seeing sales up 47% compared to last year over the last seven weeks. But you have to remember that this time last year, half of Australia was in lockdown. So frankly, sales were going to be somewhat constrained at the beginning of that period. And the comparison's probably not very fair. But they have also announced a share buyback and a special dividend market really liked it. So it was up over 12% uh, sort of late in the session, which was quite nice for some investors who've watched that share price really fall away over the last 12 months. Just finally, what I think is probably the corporate story of the day, um, AGL spending around 20 billion bucks to close the nation's biggest emitting power plant a decade earlier than planned. What's your take and how's the market reacted? This is a really interesting one. AGL has been a headliner for the last few years, a lot of corporate pressure, a lot of pressure on the board. They're one of the country's largest emitters. That particular power plant that you alluded to is responsible for something like 30% of emissions for Victoria, which is astonishing for a single power plant. And so we find AGL under a huge amount of pressure. They had a previous strategy to effectively split the company in two. That was unsuccessful. And Mike Cannonbrooks, who is the uh, the co-founder and the co-CEO of Atlassian, which is one of our biggest tech success stories, has become a very activist shareholder through his Grok Ventures in order to put pressure 
on the board to become a renewables powerhouse rather than the biggest emitter in the country. So that pressure's been ongoing. There was a real hope that they'd be able to do something about it. And I think this story feeds into the pressure that's been on the company, but certainly Canon Brooks and many others are saying they have to do more. Gemma Dale there from NAB Trade. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decisions.